Welcome to the Blue Wives Tribe podcast, a place where we share with you strategies, resources, and how to maintain your mental health so you can thrive as a law enforcement officer wife. I'm Nicole Vienna, licensed psychologist, fellow law enforcement officer wife, and founder of Blue Wives Tribe, a global online community for police wives. Hey ladies, I have an amazing episode for you today. I had the opportunity to go down and visit and tour first responders first, a residential and outpatient treatment program just for first responders. So not just police officers, but firefighters and dispatchers too. Their residential treatment center is actually located in the high desert area of Los Angeles and their outpatient treatment center is located in East Los Angeles. Now, the two people I'm interviewing are a married couple. How cool is that? They've given their time to give back to such an important cause. So let me tell you a little bit about them before we jump right into the interview. Eric Rivas is the director of admissions at First Responders First. He's a retired police sergeant with 29 years of service in Southern California. He's worked a variety of assignments, including patrol, undercover narcotics, gang detectives, and he was a patrol supervisor. He currently facilitates the supervisor course at the Criminal Justice Training Center for Golden West College. He is also the sitting president for Blue Inker Wellness, a nonprofit that provides mental wellness resources for first responders. Having worked in law enforcement as well as side-by-side with firefighters and other first responders, Eric brings his passion for wellness and has joined this team of wonderful people with the goal of helping save those who sacrifice for so many others. Now, I also interviewed his wife, Elizabeth, and I've known Elizabeth through um, social media. We've connected there. She is the, um, I like to say, the uh, clinical brain behind Blue Anchor Wellness because she is a marriage and family therapist. So let me tell you about Elizabeth. At First Responders First, she is the clinical director of the Intensive Outpatient Program over there in East Los Angeles. She holds a master's degree in counseling psychology. And like I mentioned, she's a licensed and marriage family therapist. She is trained in EMDR and some other evidence-based therapies. She has many years of experience in private practice working with first responders and their families and is a clinical supervisor at a nonprofit organization. Elizabeth volunteered as a domestic violence victim advocate and went on ride-alongs for three years with police officers to assist in counseling victims. She worked at the college hospital at their intensive outpatient clinic with patients with mental illness and as a case manager and group therapy facilitator. Elizabeth held support groups for first responders and victims who were at the Route 91 tragedy, as well as deputies and dispatchers who responded to the borderline shooting. Elizabeth was a former police explorer and served as a corrections officer, which I think is so cool because I didn't know that about her until about a year ago. And we've known each other for a couple of years now. So I was like, how did I not know this? Anyways, she is married to Eric, who I just told you all about, and they are really invested in this program and together bring a wealth of experience from both angles clinical and practical experience to the clients they serve. So I hope you enjoy the interview. If you have follow-up questions, feel free to email me. You can even reach out to Elizabeth or Eric. They're very open to that. And 
without further ado, here's my interview with the Revises and First Responders First. So welcome everyone. I am here with Elizabeth and her husband, Eric, who are happy to talk to us about their program, First Responders First. So let me first have Elizabeth introduce herself and then Eric will have you introduce yourself now that we are actually recording the episode. So Elizabeth. Hi everybody. My name is Elizabeth Rivas and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and I am currently the clinical director for First Responders First Outpatient Treatment Center. Um, we are located in East Los Angeles, and we are super excited to share this amazing program with all of you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Eric? And my name's Eric Rivas, and I'm a retired police officer. I worked for 29 years, worked multiple assignments from undercover narcotics to gang enforcement, and I retired last year, a week before the shutdown. And so now my new adventure is I'm the admissions director here at First Responders First, and part of my job is not just to uh, help get people into the program, but I'm also in doing outreach and engagement, getting the word out to law enforcement, firefighters, uh, corrections officers, as well as Coast Guard, DA investigators, all of those people that could fall under our auspices that we can help through both programs. She works at the outpatient program, but we also have our residential program, which treats substance abuse and mental wellness. Great. So let's start from the beginning and just, um, and you guys feel free to share the mic here. And for those of you listening, Eric and Elizabeth are sharing my one extra mic. So bear with us. Tell us about uh, First Responders First in terms of how it was started and maybe like the mission. And, and you told us who, who you guys serve, but maybe the mission and how it started and some of the programs it encompasses. So First Responders First was the brainchild of our benefactor who uh, wanted to help first responders. He knew that they were out there and that some were suffering with substance abuse and he wanted to put together a, not just a state of the art program, but a program that really met the needs of first responders and catered to first responders to put them in an environment to where they weren't dealing with people from the general population. They were going to be dealing with people of like mind other first responders, people that had the same experiences in order to put them in a position to enhance the healing process because they were going to be in a room, whether it be group therapy, individual therapy with either culturally competent staff or with other first responders that have had the same experiences and makes it easier for them to open up. Awesome. And so when you say your benefactor, that's the person that owns the organization, are you guys a nonprofit or? No, we are a for-profit business. Okay. We are not a nonprofit. So we are in the business of making money, but he has a great heart. We have a scholarship program and we have put several people through our scholarship program. Awesome. But that only works as long as we also have the paying clients in as well. But we do whatever we can to try and work with people to get them the help they need. Right. So you guys have an inpatient program? Correct. It's called residential. Re sorry, residential program and an outpatient program. Now let's maybe start with the residential program. Tell us what that's like. What would someone expect to have happen if they went to a residential program? Or maybe even tell, I think our listeners may not even know what a residential program is. So what a residential program is, 
And our program is licensed for substance abuse. So whenever somebody comes in, whether they're suffering from PTSD, whether they're suffering from anxiety, depression, or some other uh, mental health issue, uh, for our residential treatment program, there has to be a nexus to substance abuse. Many times in first responders, the substance abuse has comes as a result of them self-medicating due to the other issues that they've seen. Now, the typical program that somebody would enter from the beginning to end, a lot of times somebody's seeking out a program. They would find first responders first. They're going to make the phone call, whether it be to our toll-free number or reach out online. That phone number is going to come directly to me. So they're not going to speak to a random operator. They're going to talk to another first responder, somebody that's experienced a lot of the same things that they've experienced mm-hmm. and have seen a lot of the same trauma or similar types of trauma that they've seen in their careers. So they're going to be talking to somebody that's been in the mix with them. Yeah. One of their own. And it's a safe um, kind of a phone call. Like you're going to get it. They're not going to have to explain. Correct. One of the things we do that may be different from other programs, I can't speak on other programs, but if somebody isn't a fit for our program, we're going to find resources for them. We're not just going to say, you're not a fit with us and hang up on them. We'll go through the motions to find a fit for them somewhere and try and get them that help. But we accept most major types of insurance. We are an Anthem provider. And when we do run into um, people calling in that are with Anthem, we've had them at the ranch within five to six hours. And the ranch is the residential program. The ranch is, we call it the ranch. The ranch. It's like an it. 1100 acre ranch that has a large mansion on it. And at the ranch, we do several different modalities of therapy. And Elizabeth can really get into the nuts and bolts on the therapy. But we do group therapy. We do individual therapy. We also do equine therapy. Oh, that's awesome. Art therapy. Well, we were recently just blessed with the fact that LAPD just donated one of their retiring mounted oh, wow. unit horses. I think I saw to our that program. somewhere. Was that on the news? It was I think on I the saw news. you on the news actually. <laughs> and I was on the news. Yes. I knew it. See, I do watch the news sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so we also do art therapy. Uh, we have a full gym there on the property and the goal is for people to heal. We have hiking trails throughout the property where people can go out and during their downtime, they can do hikes. We've also reinstated wolf therapy, which is usually a field trip that we could take usually quarterly, but it was shut down during COVID. And I'll let Elizabeth elaborate okay. on the wolf therapy aspect. Oh, I'm so excited. And before Elizabeth gets into the therapy pieces in the residential, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it the ranch. That's fine. Right? That's what we call That's it. That's right. At the ranch. How long is the program? So, there's certain people that ask that same question. How long is the program? How long am I going to be there? And we can't answer that question because every program is individualized to the person and everybody heals differently. So where one person may come in and in 30 days, they're fine to move on. They're fine to transition. And in a perfect world, they're going to be transitioning to the IOP here with Elizabeth. Some people may take 40 days. Some people may take 60. Some people may take as long as 90 days. And that's not a judgment on the person. Everybody is different. Everybody heals at different rates. Some people at a 30 day point, all of a sudden may have some type of breakthrough that they want to continue to follow. The staff up at the ranch may say, you know, we're making breakthroughs 
we're building a foundation for them to transition, but we need a little bit more time. So to say that we have a certain deadline on the program, we don't because the programs are individualized. Now, in the case of the scholarship program, we only have so many days we can give out. We try and max our scholarships out at 30 days to give the person the tools in order to transition and help them build that foundation to move on. And then we provide them with the resources that they would need to continue follow-up care on their own. Fantastic. You meet them where they're at. Correct. I love it. Elizabeth, would you mind talking to us a little bit about the different kinds of therapies that Eric mentioned that are available in the program? Yes. So, um, again, this is a treatment center. And so when we have clients come in, we have to do an assessment and an evaluation to determine what is what it is that they need. Um, the structure involves the group therapy. So they're with other first responders, and there's four group sessions a day. There is also individual therapy so that they can really get to the root of what's going on. There's also an EMDR therapist that's available, and that is eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, which is very, very helpful. We need to do a whole episode on that. I've been planning on that. Yes. Soon, guys. Soon. Yes. And then we also have equine therapy, um, which is amazing. So that's with horses. Yes. But how does that work? So people think that they're riding horses and they're not. It's all groundwork. It's all relationships with the horses. And they can tell when you're anxious and stressed out. And so they go off your vibe and that's how equine therapy works. Mm. Um, So so, it's pretty safe. Yes, it's it's very safe. And these horses are just amazing. And they're ex-police horses. Yes. Yes. Bonus. Yes. So it's, it's fascinating. And just to see the transformation in the clients when they're out there on the ranch is just amazing. The wolf therapy is very similar. It's kind of like pet therapy. If you bring a dog, if you bring a rabbit, it's making that connection with the animal. Are you making connections with wolves? Yes. Okay. Tell me about this. Where are they at? It's actually, it's right down the street from our facility in Lake Hughes. So, um, real wolves. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And they're right next to you and you're petting them and you're Yes. Is it safe? Yes. Yes. It's like they're That's pets. So cool. Yes. And it, it's the same concept. You're building a, re- a relationship and the owners are there talking through it. And um, the next time I'll take you with us. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Field trip. Yes. Field trip. <laughs> Today was a field trip because I'm recording here at the treatment center, the outpatient program. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So you have wolf therapy, EMDR uh, equine therapy. Yes. Was there another In, one that you mentioned? Individual. Individual therapy. Yes. So a bunch of different kinds art of art therapy, art therapy. Yes. And I think you mentioned at the outpatient program here, you guys have yoga. Do you have yoga and stuff up there and at the ranch? Yes. Okay. And that's yes. part of the program as well. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. So is it like a structured kind of a deal where you like wake up at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, do your daily hygiene, then get some breakfast, then go into programming? 
Yes. So at the residential, we have a chef on staff. She makes breakfast and lunch and dinner. So the clients don't have to worry about anything. All their laundry is done. Their beds are made. So the only thing they have to focus on is themselves. Okay. That's really nice. Mm -hmm. So walk me through what it's like in the outpatient program. We talked a little bit about the inpatient. You guys share some of the same therapies. If someone then comes to outpatient, they're either going to come from inpatient or they can be referred just even, they don't have to necessarily go through inpatient. They can come here. That is correct. And there's, you know, we have to look at each case very individually. There's some people that are still working, but still think that, you know what, I need some extra help. So the outpatient might be a better fit for them. So we take all of those things into consideration and they do have to speak to our medical director and a psychiatrist to do a thorough assessment and evaluation to make sure that they're getting what they need. So if it's medication that they need, um, one of the things that I run into a lot working with first responders is lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. That is such a big issue and it's critical because when we don't sleep, we don't perform well. We can't function. We're irritable. We can't focus. And that's not how you want to live when you're dealing with your family, with your colleagues, with anybody that you're coming in contact with. So, um, Sometimes they need a little help. Sometimes, you know, if melatonin is not working, maybe they need a sleep aid through a prescription. And so those are all things that have to be evaluated and assessed by a professional. Okay. So walk me through the process. That's kind of what I was getting to. Walk me through like the process of someone calling and then getting through intake and going to program. Okay. So let's go through that. Like, let's say somebody out here, their spouse wants to get some help. Maybe they're having sleep problems, irritable at work. Maybe work has noticed or maybe not, you know, they just, they want some help. What's, what's that next step look like? So we've had several different scenarios. I've had people that have come to the realization that they need help and they've called me directly. I've had spouses call me asking for help. I've had members of peer support call me. I've had supervisors call me. There's been times I haven't even spoken with a client before we've gotten them up to the ranch because one of their supervisors or somebody from peer support will call and say, we have a person, they need help. They need help now. And we'll get them up there. But normally what would happen? And plus we do take clients from across the nation. So just this past Tuesday, a client flew into LAX. I picked him up at the airport and I drove him to the ranch myself. So other than the fact that I spoke with them prior on the phone, we actually had a two hour vetting session in the car driving up there from the airport because, you know, rush hour traffic on the 405. Oh, terrible. So, um, but usually what will happen is I will get a phone call. Perfect scenario is the client. They've come to the realization that they do need help. It's time to take that step to get the care that they need. And, um, I have a phone call coming through. Sorry about that. That is okay. I recognize the name on the phone call. Oh, it must be my husband. <laughs> well, if he joined the live, he can join the conversation. <laughs> if he only knew. It, it, well, if he checked Instagram, but you know, he's busy working. <laughs> Important things. 
So usually what will happen is I'll receive the phone call and I'll speak with the client over the phone. And then what we do is what's called a verification of benefits. Okay. I'll do a pre-admission screening. I'll find out what the client's going through. Do they have any medical issues? What brought them to this point right now to where they believe now is the time that they need help? So then usually what will happen is they'll provide me, if they have insurance, they'll provide me with their insurance information. I usually get a photograph either via text or via email of their insurance card. I upload all of that into our system and then we enter it into our verification of benefits. Now with Anthem, we are an Anthem provider. Usually even before the verification of benefits comes through, we know that we can have the person go up to the ranch. So those are a lot of times, those are the cases where we've gotten a person to the ranch within five to eight hours. Okay. I've actually done those intakes standing on the side of my daughter's soccer field. So I received a call at eight in the morning by five in the afternoon, they're up there in other situations. If it's an insurance company that we don't normally work with, or we're not in network with them, we can do what's called a single case arrangement. And so we work with the insurance companies in order to get these services paid for, for our first responders. Our mission is that our first responders pay little to nothing out of pocket for this program, because in the end, it's about first responders and helping them. So once they, our verification comes through, we figure out what the coverage is, or if it's going to be a scholarship or a hardship or some type of program then it's a matter of getting them up to the ranch. The mission is to get them up to the ranch, a ride, not in their own car. We don't want them to have their own car at the ranch. That being said, we are not a lockdown facility. It's, vol the, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. voluntary. If the yeah. person is not happy up there, the front door is open and they can walk out. Now they're going to be up in the mountains and it might be a long walk, but that being said, we want them to come up without a car. We want them to be brought up by a family member, a friend, peer support. And I can tell you, LA County Fire and LA County Sheriffs have been amazing with their peer support. I'm so impressed with the job they do with their people. You guys work a lot with the peer support from for LA County, uh, LA, LA County Sheriffs? We, we have direct and contact with both those agencies, okay. but we've also worked with peer support from several different agencies in Southern awesome. California. I just wanted to give them a compliment because they're- they're I, awesome. I'm very impressed with them. Why are you impressed with them? I think that's important to share um, because I do get a lot of phone calls and emails from agencies as well, especially when I was back doing treatment, how they can better serve their people. Well, it seems like the administration is clued in okay. that mental wellness is important. And that's one of the things that's really important. If you have an administration or a supervisor that's checking a box just because they tell me I have to do this, you're not going to have a successful program, but if you have administrators that are bought in to mental wellness of their people and care about it, you're going to see success. And in my experiences so far here at FRF, I've been so impressed with LA County Sheriff and LA County Fire, just two amazing organizations when it comes to, you know, the mental wellness aspect of their people. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I forgot where we were going though. And we took a side tangent. I was going to ask you, let me back up and ask, you mentioned that you guys are working directly with Anthem. So does that mean if they have a HMO or a PPO, does it make a difference with Anthem? No. Okay, perfect. And then do you mind sharing if you know 
what other insurance companies, you know, you directly work with. We just contracted, contracted with, we just um, contracted with health net TriStar. Okay. TriCare. TriCare. And they are a military provider. Yes. So, and so many of our first responders have military backgrounds. Very true. And the sad part about it is we also deal with retired individuals because just because they're not wearing the badge, they're not getting on the fire rig and doing their job anymore. You know, we haven't forgotten about them, but we run into the problem that so many of them are on Medicare, which you hear the, you know, you hear the praises Medicare for all and that we care about mental wellness, but you have a program with Medicare that doesn't provide any coverage for mental wellness. Yeah. So that's, that's a frustrating uh, aspect of that. But hopefully um, with this new contract we have, we're going to be able to um, stretch out a little bit farther. And like I said, we also work with those insurance companies that we're not contracted with to carve out single care arrangements. And we've been very successful with a lot of insurance companies to get coverage for the clients that have come through our program. Good, good. I know that's always a really important question to ask, you know, how much is this going to cost? What if my first responders off work and we're not, you know, bringing in that income, how are we going to afford it? So it's very helpful information. So, and there's several um, options when it comes to you, you brought up my first responders off work. Mm -hmm. So FMLA, is something that first responders can use because a lot of times there's still as much as we're trying to overcome the stigma of mental wellness in first responders. I was brought up in an era to where you go to a dead baby call and then you go handle the parking ticket. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to the homicide scene and then, um, Oh, go deal with the domestic violence call. You know, it was handle the next suck it up, do your job. We've now gotten to a point to where people are starting to realize that, mental wellness is critical in first responders. And because of that, people are, people are, but people are still a little skittish about saying, you know what? I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I need help because they're afraid they're going to be looked down upon by their agency. They're afraid they're going to be condescended by others. And so we're trying to break through that wall right now. But that being said, we work with FMLA or FMLA is an option that people can use to get the time off work. They go into human resources. They're protected federally. Nobody, the uh, human resources, people can't say why this person's taking the time off work. And so a lot of folks will use their FMLA to get the time off in order to come to the ranch and get the treatment that they need. Another option is we do work with workers comp. We have worked with. That was um, my next question. We, we work with workers comp. We are actually a certified provider for the city of San Diego for workers comp. Okay. And Good. that's, so that's another aspect of our program that we do. Any other cities you work with directly with? Not workers yet, comp? Okay. not yet, but we're working on it. Awesome. And FMLA, good point to bring up because most people think that it's only, you know, for when you take time off for the babies, right? I learned this too, as a treatment provider, when I was doing treatment with first responders, that I could put somebody off work on FMLA for treatment purposes. So check into that, talk to HR, they can be helpful. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to HR, I think you can reach out to Eric. 
and he can maybe give you some helpful tips. We're going to list his contact info and of course, everybody else at First Responders First in the show notes. So we'll get that done in a, in a sec. Okay. So getting back to, you get to the ranch. One of the things that I wanted to say is that our motto is saving lives to save more lives. You brought up FMLA was just to take care of the babies. Guess what? So many of our first responders have families. Mm -hmm. This is still taking care of the babies. Get yourself in a healthy position to be a good parent, to be a good husband or a good wife, to be a good partner, you know, so it's, it's, you're still, and you're still taking care of the babies. Yes. I like that. That's a very lovely reframe. But, um, saving lives to save more lives. That's our mission here at first responders first. And the goal is to keep these people working. Mm -hmm. One thing about PTSD, and I'm sure Elizabeth will touch on this is it's not a scarlet letter. It's not something you wear your entire life. You can heal from PTSD. And that's an amazing thing that people need to realize. So once folks get up to the ranch, there will be an intake process. They're going to give you a pass, a preliminary alcohol screening. And we've had people drink right up to the front gate. And we're prepared to deal with that. We're prepared for the detox process. We have our medical director that will work through that. They will be supervised. If they need to have med- uh, prescriptions provided, um, the prescriptions will be picked up by our staff and then they will be, the, the clients will be supervised that they take their prescriptions. And we've had people go through detox for up to seven days, but we're prepared to deal with that. Now, the first seven days at the program is what we call blackout. No cell phones, no laptops, no... Uh, basically no contact with the outside world, unless there's something critical. If somebody has a legal issue, if somebody has to check in with their work, um, they'll, you know, have a supervised phone call. They'll be allowed to do that. But just everything else is taken away. The first seven days is about healing. Now, after that, if they, they're going to get their phones back, they can call family. They can have phone calls at night. They can, if they want to order stuff off the internet, you know, to have, to have it brought up to the, delivered to the ranch for them, they can do that as well. But the first seven days is primarily about healing and putting themselves in the right frame of mind without those outside distractions. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure spouses would have an emergency contact number to Correct. an office at the ranch in case there was an emergency at home or something. Correct. And usually what we do is we try to make sure that the spouse or somebody that's important in their life is put on the release of information. And then that person can either go through me or we'll give them the phone number of the program director at the ranch. So they have a couple options of people that they can call just to get an update on what's going on with their loved one. And tell me about the rooms there, because I I saw the video and I can't show the video to people on Instagram right now, but I will share the link to the video in the show notes. If you guys are interested in what we're talking about right now, scroll through, just press pause, scroll through and find the link to the video, watch it and then come back. So can you tell us about the, the bedrooms up there? I mean, I know it's kind of like a a minor detail, but it can be a big, it's nicer than my timeshare. I was looking at that and I'm like, this is nicer than my house. I think what I noticed that was different about the bedrooms, the setup, I guess, if you will, compared to other programs, the first responders in the detox room, there was only two pers- two people in the detox room, and then they had their own individual bedrooms? Correct. Is, okay. The one unique thing about our residential program is that right now we max out 
at nine clients. The detox room does have two beds. That's the only bedroom where people will share a room. And mainly because if we have two people detoxing at the same time, it allows for easier supervision by staff. Mm -hmm. Everybody does have their own rooms. There's six uh, beds inside the main house. And then we do have an off house, which is about probably about 200 yards away from the main house. And we call that the dollhouse. There's three additional beds in there. Usually when somebody's a little bit more senior in the program, they can kind of live on their own, so to I speak. See. And then they can use uh, ATVs to go back and forth between the main house and the dollhouse. I like it. So, um, but one of the goals that I would like to see for us, we are going to build and get a little bit bigger, but I never want to see us get too big to where it becomes a cattle call and you lose that intimacy. I think that's one of the unique things, aside from the fact that we are exclusive to first responders, the program has an intimacy about it to really build camaraderie between the clients as well. And they become their own support group and they mentor each other and begin tutoring each other, especially when the new clients come in, you know, and it's, it's a real fascinating thing to see when they are taking it upon themselves to help somebody that's coming in and struggling through some of the same hardships that they faced. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really comfortable, safe program. You're among your peers. Now the groups that are ran, I'm going to kind of go back to that really quick. Are they ran by therapists and other like maybe peer support first responders that have been through the program or is it just therapists ran? So we have, we have a combination. Yes. So we have uh, what's called a KDAC and that's a counselor that specializes in addiction. We also have a licensed marriage and family therapist who also runs groups. And we currently have an associate MFT who is a sheriff, is getting ready to retire, and will be joining us full-time um, at the ranch. So that Fantastic. is... Fantastic. Yeah. So we really, really try to get culturally competent staff, uh, whether they're a wife or you know, a family member that believes in the thin blue line, the thin red line. And uh, we vet our employees to make sure that we have culturally competent people. Fantastic. So you guys do a combo model of uh, fellow peer uh, first responders and therapists, of course, that are culturally competent. Correct. Awesome. So is there anything I missed that would be important to tell people about the program, whether it's at the ranch or at the outpatient here in East Los Angeles? Any other portions we missed? You know, um, all I could really say is that taking that step, we understand it's difficult. And we know that first responders don't trust anybody. So we get it. And um, I got a phone call the other day from a wife and she was describing how her husband has just been isolating, disengaged. And when I told her my background, being married to a cop and I was also a corrections officer, um, the minute she heard me speaking, she's like, you get it. And instantly there was that connection. And all I can say is, Give it a try. You have nothing to lose. And 
just like Eric said, if this is not the right fit, we'll help you find the right fit because it's not about who's the better program. It's about helping each other. We have to help our family and whatever it takes for us to get them, whether it's an individual therapist, whether it's, you know, a equine therapist, we want to help. That's the bottom line. And again, it's saving lives to save more lives. These are our heroes and we need to help them and the family. We cannot exclude the family from this process. It's, it's critical. Does family come up for any kind of group therapy or part of the family therapy process? Yes. If they want to go up, they have family days. We have family days here at the outpatient and the spouses and the children are invited. Um, Our next uh, family day, it's going to be at the beach. And um, yeah, it's about getting them involved and making sure that their loved one is being taken care of. Awesome. Did you have anything to add about the program that we might have missed, Eric? No, I think uh, you got just about all of it. I'm glad you brought up family day. Another one thing we have going on at the ranch is they have an alumni group that meets on Tuesday nights via zoom. And I've spoken to past clients cause I'll call and do a follow up every now and then just to see how they're doing. And I have one client literally said, I still do my self check-ins every day. I check in with myself. I do meditation in the morning, everything that I learned at the ranch And then when I'm feeling a little down, that Tuesday night alumni group on Zoom recharges me to get me through the rest of the week. So, you know, one thing that COVID really made popular was Zoom. And so many more people are, are using it now. And in this situation, because we do have clients from across the nation, it allows more alumni to be a part of it. So it's just a great aspect of the program that there's no charge for. That's after you're already out of the program, you've completed the program. You can jump on that Zoom meeting on a Tuesday night and sometimes meeting some old friends that you met through the program, but also you can be a mentor for some of the folks that are going through the program currently. Yeah. So you're not just disconnected once you're done. You stay involved or you can stay involved. And there's like a network, like you said, a peer support network of folks. Right. And then, To follow up on that, there's aftercare. So once they leave the outpatient, we set them up with a therapist or a mentor or, you know, a a, a sponsor. So, and then we check up on them three months, six months, nine months after to make sure, hey, how are you doing? So we want to make sure that they're set up to be successful. They have a partner in healing along the way, each step of the way. Yes. Awesome. I'm going to now take it a little bit of a right turn. We talked about your program, the programs. What are some of the common issues or problems that the first responders face? What kind of mental health issues do they face and that would maybe get them into treatment or why they would seek treatment? What, What are some of those common problems and issues? So, in my experience, um, I also work in private practice and I work with a lot of couples and a lot of what I see is there's a lot of infidelity. There is a lot of communication issues, lack of communication, 
there is a lot of porn. And so a lot of these issues that don't get talked about end up ruining and destroying families. And sometimes they come to therapy and sometimes it's too late. There's a lot of bitterness and resentment and they can't get past that. Um, A lot of anxiety, sleep issues, depression, and then again, drinking, the increase, they're hiding the alcohol, they're doing it, you know, behind their back, finding alcohol bottles throughout the house. So there's a lot of issues that can lead to more serious problems. And we have clients that have gotten arrested for drunk driving, and that's how their supervisors get involved, and then they're kind of forced into treatment, and that's how everything kind of escalates. Yeah, I'm, I used to tell my, my clients, you know, most people in my experience would come in seven years too late. Not, not that it was too late, but they'd come in seven years after they first should have come in, right. I guess. Right. So where do these problems come from? How do these issues like start to come up? How is it connected to the job? Well, I think, or is it? Yeah. Eric mentioned a couple things. It's the work mentality of going from one call to another call to another call. And when do they debrief? You don't get to see a therapist in between calls. And a lot of people don't seek help for the same reason, the stigma, because when you talk about the homeless people with mental illness on the street, there's no way you're going to put that label on yourself. I don't have a mental illness. And so there's a lot of denial. There's a lot of just not understanding what PTSD is, not understanding, you know, that they're having depression. All they know is that they're feeling sad. They don't want to hang out with other people. You lose, you know, that feeling of like, for example, if I used to be on a bowling league and I loved bowling and then all of a sudden I don't want to go bowling anymore and I don't want to do the things that I used to like to do, that's a red flag. And a lot of times, and this is, I hear this a lot from the officers is I don't want to tell my wife. I don't want to tell them what's going on at work. I don't want to tell them about the dead baby that I had to deal Mm -hmm. with. And I challenge them to say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but as a wife, I can handle it, but you're not giving me that opportunity. And so I'll tell them, you don't have to tell them the gory details, but just being open and honest and saying, I had a rough day Mm -hmm. is sometimes enough. And this is where the communication part really takes a hit. When someone comes home and they need space, they don't tell their partner, you know what, I had a rough day and I I need some time. Give me half an hour. But what happens is they get home and they get bombarded by the kids, the wife, the this, the that. and Home life responsibility. Right. And sometimes they need that extra 20, 30 minutes, take a shower, just kind of decompress, I guess, right? Yes, yes. But if that's not being um, relayed, then the wife is like, did I do something wrong? 
maybe it's me. And so that, that internal dialogue starts. It turns into like some nasty cycle, Yes, you know, Eric, jump in. You know, one of the other issues is, especially with the law enforcement side is if I'm telling somebody I'm having an issue with mental wellness, I'm going to lose my gun. Good point. And that is a huge fear for anybody in law enforcement because that's their career. That's their livelihood. For 29 years, that was my identity. That's what I did. I strapped a gun on and I went out and I would deal with what I had to deal with. And that was who I was. And with a lot of these young officers or even officers in the middle of their career, the biggest fear is losing that, is losing that identity. And so that's where we're trying to fight that battle in order to let them know it's okay not to be okay, Mm -hmm. which it's kind of a battle cry now to let people know it's okay to get help. But that fear, if I lose my gun, I lose my job, I lose my identity, I lose my family, I can't take care of my family. We're problem solvers as first responders. We're not allowed to have problems. We take care of the problems. And that's the biggest stigma that, especially from the law enforcement side, that we have to deal with. And that's a major challenge. Right. And going into treatment, like at the ranch or in the outpatient program, is not going to necessarily get your gun taken away. That's correct. And I I do want to talk about confidentiality because this does come up a lot. Um, Eric also runs the sergeant school at Golden West College at the Criminal Justice Training Center. And I teach the eight-hour mental wellness portion of those two weeks. And this is brought up every single time. And what I tell them is I don't work for the police department. I'm an outside person that is providing therapy and I am bound by law and ethics Mm -hmm. that everything is confidential. If they tell me something, I'm not going to go run to their department and tell them. The only thing that I'm legally mandated to disclose is if they're a threat to themselves, a threat to others, child abuse, elder abuse. And there's a lot of leeway. No, I shouldn't say leeway. There's a lot of clinical discretion and clinical interpretation, I guess. That, that's probably a better way to frame it. A lot of clinical interpretation that's involved in the, am I a danger to myself or others? So, you know, it's, it's not just one blanket statement. There's a lot of clinical judgment that will go into assessing that fact. So Correct. Yeah. Yes. So um, just like if you go to a PD psychologist and you say the wrong thing, yeah, she has the authority to, you know, they need to remove their gun. But as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I don't have the authority to do that. And again, if someone tells me I'm going to shoot myself tonight with my gun, okay, I do need to address that. Yeah. Like how can we, can we, can we address it? Right. What, what kind of things can be put in place to keep you safe? Right. So there is a huge difference between the police psychologist and an outside therapist. Yeah, and I think a lot of people seek outside therapists for that reason. And not right. to say that the therapist or the psychologists that are available in the departments are bad or they don't follow ethics. 
they are just sometimes, depending on the department, bound by different rules of the department. Correct. So, yeah, confidentiality, big question. Um, let's see. Well, I was going to ask you something else. I, I just have, like, so many questions in my head, and I'm like, <laughs> then, then we're going on here and here. And um, Let's check in with our audience. Okay, guys. Anyone have any questions for first responders first? I haven't checked it in a while, so I might have missed some in the beginning. Um, no, I don't think. I think I got all these guys. Okay. All right. If you guys have questions, feel free to put them in the chat in Instagram. If you guys are listening to this recorded on Apple Podcasts, then you can, if you have questions afterwards, please send them to me in a DM. You can also email Eric and Elizabeth because we're going to put your guys' contact info in the show notes. Um, okay, so we talked about confidentiality. We talked about the uh, gun issue. What else would be important to talk about? Oh, we were talking, let's go back to the um, problems, right? We were going into what kind of problems first responders have that would get them into treatment or would someone would seek treatment for. And you mentioned quite a few. And then, then I asked, is there a connection to the job? Because we, you know, Elizabeth mentioned infidelity, um, addiction, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, all those things, gambling, um, but depression, sleep issues, anxiety, PTSD, how is it connected to the job? We, we kind of got into going from call to call to call, no debriefing or no time to decompress, uh, shift work, right? Going 10, 12 hour shifts back to back to back overtime. Um, how about management like issues, you know, talk about like the, the, um, kind of moral injuries and other management issues. This is also something that I bring up in that mental wellness class um, because one of the things that I have found is that a lot of first responders have childhood trauma that was never dealt with. So now you're dealing with years and years of trauma that they never got help for. They're now first responders and now there's more trauma mm-hmm. on top of more trauma. And it's just cumulative, which creates that high stress level. It creates that adrenaline rush. And I know that you know all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you expect them to go home and be a husband or a wife. It, it doesn't work that way. It takes a toll on you and everybody has their breaking point. I have worked with cops that were on the force five years with major PTSD. And then I've had someone who's been on 25 years and they're just now getting symptoms of PTSD. So that's like the million dollar question. A lot of this has to do with resiliency. A lot of this has to do with self-care if they're doing things to take care of themselves, they're going to be okay. But when they're allowing all of this trauma to pile on over and over and over again, it's going to reach a breaking point. And like Eric mentioned, self-medicating. They get to the point where they can't handle the stress anymore. They can't, they're, I had an officer Tell me when I close my eyes, all I can see is the dead body parts all over the street. So he couldn't sleep. Um, now, again, there's other officers that that doesn't bother them. Um, one of the 
recurring that I hear a lot, anything to do with children mm-hmm. is a big one that impacts them tremendously. Yeah. It's like a symbol of innocence. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget. And I, Eric lets me share some of the things that happened between us, but he called me in the middle of the afternoon and he had just gone out to um, a dead body call. And there was a woman who was mowing her lawn and had a heart attack. And um, it really impacted him for whatever reason. And he called me and we talked about it. And, you know, that not everybody's married to a therapist, but um, I think that early intervention is key. Absolutely. If you have a therapist and you go in after critical incidents, then take advantage of that. Don't let it fester. Don't let it. And within the first 30 days after a trauma, it can be acute stress. After 30 days, if it continues, then it can be diagnosed as PTSD. Um, So it's normal and natural for your body, for your brain to have nightmares after something like that. Um, But if it's four months later, then that's an issue and it should be addressed. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it it is, um, I think reassuring for our first responders and even spouses to hear that having nightmares or not being able to sleep, struggling, you know, having some anxiety, a little bit of hypervigilance after a trauma is completely normal. You know, if you didn't have those signs, that's when I would be worried. But when you go beyond the 30 days and it's impacting your ability to get up and go to work and shower and, you know, take care of yourself. That's when it might become a problem and you probably need to get in to see somebody. Right. Awesome. Did you have anything else to add, Eric? I'm going to, when we're, we're closing up pretty soon, but I do have, I have a lingering question for you, for you too. But if you have anything to add before I get to my lingering question. I had totally (laughs) forgotten about that incident now. Do you have some availability now that it's been brought back up? Hey, no, but it's some free benefits over here. There's, uh, <laughs> there's, um, you know, a lot of things that people will see. And one of my best partners just passed away this week. And the funny part about it was he had texted me two days before he passed. He was going on a trip with his wife and he took a picture of a street sign out in Beaumont. And he texted me, do you remember coming out here on this case? It was one of your cases and we got permission to drive out here. And I'm like, and I felt I, it makes me feel even worse now. Cause I didn't remember the case out of all the things we Aww. did together and all the things we did as detectives, that one, I'm like, Oh, was that the one where we drove started the day here? And that no, no, it was this different one. And I couldn't remember. And then, uh, you know, two days later I wake up to text messages that, Hey, what do you know about Jim dying? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you know, those friendships and that camaraderie, you know, you forget more of this, you forget more about this job than people will ever know, you know, and then things will come up and, you know, they'll hit you hard, but, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to have feelings. And we try so hard with the machismo of the job, whether it be the police officers or the firefighters, and we know the police officers are the more macho of the two because we tell the firefighters okay. when they can come in. <laughs> Sorry, firefighters had to get that one dig in. 
but no, yeah, it was kept pretty, uh, pretty fair the whole time. <laughs> no, but they're amazing. They're, they're, they're amazing folks. I, I always tell them, I said, look, I'll run towards gunfire, but going into a burning building, that's nuts. So, but, um, you know, the only thing I would want to, you know, finish up with from where I'm coming from is that I'm doing this now in retirement because I want to help those who I respect and first responders, no matter what's going on in society are still America's heroes. And there's a lot of people that believe that unfortunately they're not the dominant force on Twitter or on social media, but our first responders are still our heroes and they need to be treated as such. And they need to be told that they need to know that they're appreciated because they're the ones going out in the middle of the night doing what nobody else will do. It's real easy to complain about it. It's another thing to do it. And so this keeps me in the mix, helping the people I care about. And so that's why I'm doing it. And we're here to help. And I know we have a great program. I hope that we are the premier program in the nation within the next two years. Well, I definitely appreciate what you guys are doing. And I know the listeners do and spouses across the country that listen to our podcast. I mean, they're always emailing me, DMing me on Instagram. What are the resources? So here we are right here. Like contact info will be in the show notes for you guys. Okay. As we come to a close, I want to know what, well, I want to know this because this is what I commonly get asked by the spouses. This is a spouse group on here that I run, right? Blue eyes stripe. Okay. So how can spouses really help their first responders when they're going through this? I mean, this is the hands down most commonly asked question. What do I do when my spouse comes home, had a bad day? Maybe they're not saying anything. Maybe they do say something and they're like, I don't want to talk for like an hour. The spouse doesn't know what to do. How can the spouse help in these times? Family is so important. We talked about that. The family has a support system. What can the spouse do? That's a great question. Um, like I said before, I do so much of couples counseling. And the number one is they, they have lost the ability to communicate with one another. And so we have to go back to relationships 101. Back to the basics. Do you teach that class? Yes. Where, where can we get info? <laughs> can, I, can I share it with my, is it online or? No, I do it in person, but we have to go back to relationship 101. What does that mean? You start with the basics. You start with dating one another again. You start with cuddling. You start with love notes. You start with nurturing the relationship. And that is the problem is that life gets in the way, children, sports, classes, I mean, you name it. We live in a very fast-paced society, and we need to slow down and look at our lifestyle. I also see that a lot of couples live beyond their means. Why? We don't need to compete with the Joneses. We need to go back to the basics and have that dialogue. It's, it's like a plant. What do you need with the plant? You have to water it. You have to take the dead leaves off and change the soil once in a while and plant food. That's the same with relationships. 
You have to nurture each other. And if that's not happening, guess what happens to the plant? It dies. So the relationship dies. So we have to make an effort. The five love languages is amazing. Mm -hmm. Because if my love language is gifts and he's not giving me any gifts and just giving me (laughs) lip service, he's not meeting my needs. Eric? I have been giving her gifts. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what is your love language? (laughs) Is it acts of service? I I don't. You know what? I guess I need to read the book because I don't even know what my love language is. There's an app. You can actually uh, get the, it's free. It's his uh, app and you can put in your little answers and you can check it out. (laughs) Yeah. But so yours is, again, it's uh, gifts. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. My, mine is, why do I, I sound funny? Why do I sound funny? Let me fix this volume. Um, sorry guys. I'm out of my normal office, so I'm, I'm playing around with the settings, but my love language is, uh, access service. And my husband's is, um, <laughs> it's something <laughs> it's, I think it's the one touch. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We're very, we're the opposite sides of the spectrum here. So, um, he actually did the little quiz and shared it with me. So then I took it and he reminds me now, like, um, he's like, can you rub my back? And I'm like, no, go to the massage therapist. <laughs> and he's, he's like, but that's my love language. Yes. Touch. It's so I need important. to communicate this way. And I'm yes. like, I'm busy, but I have to, I have to recognize that. Yes. You know? And it really helps. That book has really helped me go, okay, okay, okay not about you, Nicole, all the time, <laughs> but about, but about this is how my spouse feels loved and nurtured. And that's how we can both, you know, nurture each other. You know, one of the things that I could say about spouses in dealing with us as first responders, there is a lot of literature out there. There's a lot of books that you can, that you can learn from and, and learn different techniques. And, you know, especially they're always taught, don't take it home. Don't take it home. Don't Mm -hmm. take it home. And a lot of times, you know, I'm very fortunate with my wife. She is very resilient and she can handle the things I've had to tell her because in her jobs, she's dealt with a lot of the same things. Um, But that being said, a lot of spouses don't come from her background, don't have the experiences that she's had but there are a lot of ways to help in the communication and it, and it's hard for us to communicate. And I think part of the problem is, is because on the job we're communicating all day long and we're fighting the battles of words, whether it be with a suspect, whether it be with a victim and our mind is constantly going all day long. And a lot of people want to uh, differentiate differentiate patrol from detectives. It's just another kind of stress. Mm -hmm. You could be a detective and you're reading cases all day long and you're trying to formulate a plan on how to solve this case. And when you come home, you're mentally tired patrol. You could be both mentally tired as well as physically tired. You could have been in a fight that afternoon. You could have had drama with a supervisor or an administrator that afternoon, which is sometimes more stressful than dealing with suspects on the street. So there's so many different aspects of stress that go in to being a first responder. And there's ways of, you know, finding out how to deal with it. But there are some great uh, books out there that I know Elizabeth has read in having to deal. And I actually read a book that she made me read. 
and it was called Marriage in Progress. Oh, okay. And it was by uh, Vicki Newman. Okay. And Sorry. Victoria Newman, and her husband was a CHP officer, and it was actually geared towards the first responders mm-hmm. to read. Okay. Uh, especially those in law enforcement. And so it's a good read. It's a fast read. So it's something that's, uh, I would recommend for any first responder out there that may be going through some issues with their marriage. Um, she has the sister book, which I believe is the book that came out first called chip on my shoulder. That's the one I've read. Okay. And, uh, that's for the spouses. So, uh, I would recommend any law enforcement couple to pick it up. Like I said, it's an easy read and, uh, just to help a little bit of the understanding. Perfect. I will, I will go ahead and, um, find it on Amazon and put it also in the, the notes for people to. And if I could say one last thing, I would like to give a shout out to Jeff and Skip from Worldwide Peer Support. Okay. For all of our firefighters out there, they are a national peer support group working just with firefighters. And uh, you can get them. Their website is Worldwide Peer Support and look them up. And then also, I would also grab this real quick. Of course. I also want to give another shout out to James Espinosa. And he is with the Veteran Mentor Project, Inc., working with not just uh, first responders, law enforcement, but also military veterans. And those are two peer support groups that are out there and they're nationwide and they're available for a phone call. Sometimes getting the help, getting to us is by having a peer that could recommend you or at least recommend you and point you in the right direction those are two great groups that we've done outreach with that we're working with. And I'm proud to say that uh, we're collaborating with both those groups right now and we're looking for more. Fantastic. And can I get, I'll get their contact info from you so I can also share that as a resource. So great. Um, I appreciate you guys talking to me and taking, you know, a good hour out of your day to do this interview. And how do people get in contact with you? You can go ahead and tell our listeners, Elizabeth. How do people get in contact with you guys? So we have a website and it's www.firstrespondersfirst.com. We have a 24-hour toll-free number and that's 888-252-5767. Once again, that's 888-252-5767. And that number clicks directly over to my cell phone. So anybody that's going to be calling is going to be talking to me. And then Elizabeth just gave the website Okay, and we're here to help whether it's with us. We, you know, we want to be the provider, but if it's a not fit, if it's not going to be a good fit or for circumstances don't work out, we're going to help you find somebody to help you because that's the mission is getting people the help they need because it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about this building, you know, Yes, we are a business and we're in the business of keeping the business going. But in the end, our primary mission is getting help to those first responders. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. guys. Thank you so much. For our members and audience out there, as always, please tag us with your favorite takeaways at Blue Wives Tribe on Instagram. If you love this episode, please subscribe and download some more. Leave us a review to help us get the show out there to other police wives and girlfriends. Tell us what you enjoyed and what other police wife topics or mental health topics you want to hear about in the future. Don't forget to hashtag BWT podcast and hashtag Blue Wives Tribe. Until next time, stay safe out there.